Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, Ireland's wild youth failed to qualify for the Eurovision Grand Final, bringing an early end to their 2023 bid. The Dublin band were among five acts who were eliminated during a 15-strong first live semi-final, which was held last night at the MS Bank Arena in uh, Liverpool. Our man in Liverpool is our Eurovision correspondent, and that's Johnny O'Mahony. Good morning to you, Johnny. Good morning, Trisha. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm very well. Uh, was it a late one last night? <laughs> An early morning. Was <laughs> It still had to yeah. be done. You, you still had to celebrate. Now, it very much felt like Wild Youth were very well received in the arena last night. It was amazing. They, they got, um, I wouldn't say the biggest reaction, but one of the biggest reactions in the hall. It was amazing. Like They, they did really well from, from what we could see. You know, that um, there was a great post. And um, even when, before, when they were on stage, while the postcard was on before they actually performed, there was a great cheer. And, you know, there was, there was a big Irish contingent, obviously, in the arena. But overall, they just, you know, they really delivered the goods, I think, last night. And disappointing that they didn't qualify. Yeah, and I have to say, a lot of our listeners are making the point that they thought it was probably one of the better songs we've sent for the last number of years. Yeah, very much so. And it just, it, it was kind of different from everything else. And they just, you know, they went out there and sang it. And I, I, I did think last night that we were going to qualify. And um, when if we were saying, like, if the likes of Croatia, Serbia and Moldova qualified, we didn't have a hope. And the first two countries out were Croatia, Moldova and uh you know, there, there was um, two Dutch people with us, and Netherlands obviously didn't didn't get through either. But when we heard Moldova and Croatia, we just looked at each other and said, "That's it, we're gone." You know, so there, there was there was no saving grace. I think at that point we said, "Right, this this is it," and uh, just just wait for it. And um, unfortunately, that's how it turned out. And it, it it had been dubbed the semi-final of death because the competition was so tough. Very much, and because there was. Um, you know, there was only you could say two thirds were going to go through. There was five. It, it was, you know, there was a definite five that would qualify, and then after that, it was anybody's guess how it was going to go. And unfortunately, that's I, you know, I'm I'm surprised actually that they didn't, considering what they get through in the end. But um, it was a semi-final. Had they, I, I think we've said this before. Had they been in Thursday night show, they'd have probably gotten through. 
Mm. You know, based on what's there, but it's it's disappointing for the lads. You know, it's hard work, and you know somebody has to go home, and unfortunately, it's us. And I saw. I mean, obviously, you were in the arena, so I don't know if if you were able to uh, able to actually see the band. But I know the cameras went on to the band before the last country was announced, and you yeah. could see in their faces they they're 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 gutted. Yeah, very much so because you know it's. Um, they went out of their way. They they wanted to do Eurovision, and you know people say, oh, I wouldn't touch Eurovision. You know, it's 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 not for us. But you know they were enthusiastic about it. They were positive about it, and you know they chose to take part. And you know I think they had um, they they had every opportunity to 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 get through. Um, but unfortunately, you know, you, it it was out of their hands. That you know, in a competition like that, it's down. They 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 always said it's down to the housewives in Norway. <laughs> and um, that's how it was last night. You know, it was a public vote and um, no juries. I wonder, you know, you think if the juries were involved, would they have, you know, maybe had a, a better chance? But, um, you know, the, the post-mortem will be there now, kind of, we should have done this, we should have done that. And unfortunately, that's, you know, it's over. And, you know, we, we still don't know. We won't know until after the live final on Saturday night where they came in the 15 you know they they could have come 11th by one point you yeah, know and that, that's, yeah. even, that's even more that's even more difficult to to look back on but um you know but i suppose by then they'll have you know accepted the the, the fact um that they're not in it but it would have been great to have them in the final you know it's, yeah it's there's something the special about when they're yeah when when, yeah, when you have your yeah. country in the final uh, was there any surprise uh countries got through last night that you weren't expecting well, I, I, my fear was Croatia and Moldova. You know, okay. I, I thought, um, you know, I hoped they wouldn't because there was nothing. They, it just, in my opinion, they they weren't songs. Or they just, there was nothing. It was more a gimmick than um, than, than a song. And um, I thought Wild Youth were definitely better than them. But other than that, I think the the other eight, I, maybe Serbia as well, I didn't expect. But, um, you know, the others were definitely Youth, the likes of Sweden and Finland, Portugal, Israel they were kind of definite to, and Switzerland I think those five were more or less definite to get through and then it was a, 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 a kind of a lucky dip after that Yeah and you mentioned uh, Croatia Croatia were the um, middle to older age gentlemen performing <laughs> yes. in, performing in their wife runs That's right That's right yeah. and um, I, again I have to say That's your revision action in the at Eurovision, yeah. Well, you said there's anything you can expect, anything, anytime in Eurovision. But I have to say they got a great reaction in the hall as well, you know. But you know, sometimes like that, a great reaction doesn't deliver the votes, and that's what happened with us, you know. But you know, even though we didn't know would Croatia survive because. You know, other years they've had more neighbourly voting, but they didn't have as many neighbours this year. You know, but they, they still... They still managed to get through. Yeah, sometimes all those gimmicky songs uh, do get through, even though we sent a gimmicky song with uh, Dustin and that flopped for Dustin. us. And Dustin made an <laughs> yeah. appearance last night. Dustin made an appearance, yeah. And uh, it was, um, you know, it, people said, God, we had enough of him. But I mean, it's 15 years since he performed and it's still referenced every year no matter who who's doing Eurovision you know he, he kind of gets a mention almost every year so I mean to have him back in that is a good thing Be, uh, you know it, it's, it's fun. just shows probably, it's a bit of fun you know, a uh, bit of fun yeah and shows people have a sense of humour and I have to say uh, overall what a great show from start to finish 100% I couldn't agree with you more they just did and then BBC have been outstanding 
and very slick, very smooth. The presenters were excellent. And um, just the, the whole thing was entertainment from beginning to end. And uh, I think it will be the same from tomorrow night and Saturday night. You know, there's bigger and better things, I, I believe, um, planned. You know, so um, it, it, it was all very good, very entertaining. Sonia, who um, came second to Niamh Kavanagh by a point in Mid Street in 1993, she'll be performing at the final. She's Liverpool, from Liverpool herself, and probably Liver, one of Liverpool's most famous um, singers, I suppose, at this point. And uh, she's going to appear in the final, so I think the roof will be lifted off. Yeah, the arena and she, they're, they're celebrating the fact that 30 years later she came second. 30 years later. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, yeah, the, and the, the actual anniversary of Mill Street is next Monday, the 15th. Yeah, the 15th, yeah. isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's 15th. And, and it's like yesterday, Tricia. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. To, to yeah. Think where how, do, where how, do those 30 years go? The postcards, yeah. by the way, before I let you go, the postcard idea was wonderful. Fabulous. Absolutely. It, it was just, you know, I mean, I love the Irish one especially, but the, the whole idea of it, you know, go to Ukraine, then the UK, and then something similar for the for the, the Okay, we're country. Very well done. Again, very slick. Very well, very well done. And um, a great idea. And just the whole thing, the, the whole team of the, the show is united by music. And that's exactly what it is. The, the I suppose, the unification in Liverpool especially is just that they've really in kind of brought that team together and um, shown it in, in Eurovision. And that's what it's all about. Okay, and one listener is calling out the um, Rebecca Ferguson and the Ukrainian girl, Elosha. Uh, that was absolutely superb. But one person is saying, who dressed Rebecca Ferguson? And uh, that line is gone. Uh, um, is Johnny there? He's gone. Um, it, it, we'll, we'll let it go. I was finishing up with him. Uh, that's our Johnny O'Malley uh, joining us live from Liverpool. Uh, but one of this is questioning, if you saw the performance last night, Rebecca Ferguson, she was the, she won on X Factor, wasn't she? She was one of the X Factor winners. Beautiful, beautiful voice. And she did a gorgeous song with the, the uh, Ukrainian singer by the name of Elosha. It was beautiful. I mean, it was, it was a stunning, stunning uh, song. But it was Rebecca Ferguson's orange dress that reminded me of something my grandmother had as a in the bathroom. It was a knitted or crocheted, I'm not too sure, but it was a cover for toilet rolls back in the day. Uh, you'd stack the toilet rolls and you'd put kind of this doll that was knitted over. That's what the dress uh, looked like to me. But a stunning performance, let's not take for it. Anyway, thanks to uh, Johnny. We'll speak to them again on Friday after the second semi-final. But unfortunately, a disappointment for us here in Ireland with wild youth not making it uh, through, which means they're not going to be in the final on Saturday night. So Somebody says, uh, Patricia, have we ever qualified since we sent Dustin the turkey? No wonder uh, he's been mentioned. He made a fool of us. We have, we have qualified. Dustin the turkey was uh, 15 years ago. We last qualified five years ago. That was in 2018. And I think there was a five year gap before that uh, as well. So in the last number of years, we haven't done too well since they brought in the qualification for us to get through to the uh, final. Uh, John says, since we sent Dustin the turkey, there has been a raven of death hanging over us. But in Ireland's case, it's a turkey of death. And then for the BBC to bring him over this year. What was the thinking behind that? Will we be like Mayo for Sam? Uh, are we cursed when it comes to the Eurovision? All because of Dustin the Turkey. Anne in Kenturk watched the show last night. She said, what do other people hear in their ears? Some of the other singers and songs 
So, particularly some of the singers they couldn't even sing properly yet they got through I do wonder sometimes what people uh, hear yeah uh, there was some strange strange songs uh, for sure 0818 103 103 but I, some will say isn't that what Eurovision is all about the strange the weird and the wonderful and then between when you push away all of the clutter the cream normally rises to the top and usually the best song does uh, win. 0818103103 and some carryover comments that came in yesterday that, that I didn't get a chance to. During my chat yesterday with the Mayor of uh, Cork County, uh, Danny Collins, we spoke about the fact that we here in Cork, we are so under underfunded when it comes to our road network. We are the largest county in Ireland. We have the biggest road network and certainly the largest road network for Cork County Council that they have to maintain. And yet we don't get when you look at smaller counties and the budgets they get pro rata we don't get enough to look after our roads and we are way way behind when it comes to maintenance on our road well that prompted Nora to say the road into Kinsale from the airport side is an absolute disgrace in most parts of the road the white lines for example have completely eroded the cat's eyes are dead and there are no roadside reflectors especially from Belgooly into Kinsale when it's dark or if the weather it's bad it really is a death trap to be driving on that road I really don't know how the council is getting away with putting people's lives at risk for the sake of a few buckets of white paint and to put in some roadside reflectors and to replace or clean the cat's eyes that's from Nora and then we were talking about gluten free products that happened to come up on the programme yesterday when we talked about the price of groceries and we have a number of people who are either celiacs themselves or have a family member who who are celiacs who are really talking about how they're struggling at the moment because the cost of gluten-free food anyway is always more expensive than non- than, than food that contains uh, gluten. But when you add the cost of living, all the gluten-free food has gone up. So prices that were already high going up even uh, higher. Uh, and, uh, you know, a number of people were giving examples and a number of people are, were trying to say ways that you could save, baking your own, trying to make as much of your own food, as po- gluten-free food as possible does help if you have the time and the inclination and the skills to do it. Somebody else was pointing out, save all your receipts. You can claim back. It's not the full amount, but you get 20% back from revenue if you're celiac you can claim that back at the end of the year but here's a great text in from uh, a listener to say my husband was diagnosed last Christmas uh, with celiac disease the first few months we could not believe the price of celiac foods but I want to share with you and other listeners that we found a quick and we were quick and fast to learn a very handy cheapish alternative there is an app out there called a G F scanner and it's absolutely mighty. I mean mighty. Basically, you've got this app on your phone at the ready whenever you're doing your shopping and you simply scan the barcode on every item you wished to buy. Uh, I mean, even food that's in the non-celiac section. You'll be surprised at how, how many of the normal food items actually have zero gluten in it as the app reads it and then tells you. So basically a lot of food is actually gr- gluten free but you'll know if you've got your GF scanner with you try it folks. And that came in late yesterday so I downloaded that GF scanner because I follow a gluten free uh, diet and it is simply fantastic. I was at home scanning things that were in the cupboard and everything to see and I was taken aback there was one for example one uh, uh, a brown uh, a brown sauce 
that I normally like on chips, for example. I said, oh, just that gluten free. And when I scanned across, it is actually gluten free. I don't have to go out and sort of specifically look for a gluten free uh, one. So it, it is great. So if, you, if you've got a smartphone, wherever you get your apps from, GF Scanner, and it is free and very, very simple and it's simple to download and very, very simple to use. So thank you. There's no name on that text, uh, that WhatsApp that came in yesterday. So thank you for sharing that little bit of knowledge with us. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. As we mentioned yesterday, Neil Richmond, the Retail Business Minister of State, has brought forward a meeting of the retail forum by seven weeks so that he can outline the government's concerns about the continued high prices of groceries despite the reduction in inflation. Senator Tim Lombard, though, is questioning why there will be no voice for the primary producer at this meeting. And Senator Tim Lombard uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And uh, you're very welcome. Now, firstly, do you welcome the minister calling in the retailers today and getting the conversation going? Yeah, I think, look, it's a very positive step that he's actually decided to bring forward the actual retail form by seven weeks. It's a form that meets on a quarterly basis. I think there's a significant issue about food inflation and about inflation of all commodities that are in the retail sector, in particular over the last 12 months. And I think the idea of bringing them in to see where the actual pitfalls or where the issues are regarding inflation, because we've slightly turned the actual corner regarding that issue and why we haven't seen it actually happen at shop level, the actual reductions in natural food price in particular. Um, so I very much welcome the proposal that he's brought this forward. But I have genuine concerns about the makeup of the actual retail forum. So who do you feel should also be attending? So the retail forum that's set out has nearly 35 different partners there at the moment. And you have, in fact, you have something like nine or 10 actual government departments. You have trade enterprise, Taoiseach's, um, finances there, higher education, tourism, food and protection, and even Department of Environment are all there. The one department that's not on that list is the Department of Agriculture, and that's the Department of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries. So food is a major part of this debate. So my view here is that the Department of Agriculture, at a minimum, should be actually represented on the forum itself. And I also think agencies like Tagisht, Borbia, should be there as well, because they give an insight into the actual cost of production, which has gone dramatically through the roof in the last 18 months in particular, with fertiliser, feed and energy prices going through the roof. And I also believe that there's issues regarding the unfair trade practising enforcement from the Department of Agriculture, which is a special unit there. They should be actually included as well. If there is unfair, unfair trade practices, they should actually have a seat at this table. So I did clash with the Minister regarding this issue. I think it's important that we should have uh, a good debate with all sectors, from the primary producer all the way up to the actual end retailer, just to make sure we have an understanding of where the actual issues are within the food chain itself. But isn't it fair to say, Tim, that there is a lack of transparency when it comes to uh, pricing? Like nobody seems to know how much profit or how much money goes to the producers, how much goes to the processors, how much goes to the retailers. They're all involved in this chain. And it's very hard to get transparency as to who's making the profits. Yeah, and I think that's a really fair point because if you look at your price of milk in the supermarket today, your Tesco or Aldi or wherever you want to go, it's probably two nineteen for your two litres of milk. Farmers getting around 40 to 41 cent a litre today for that milk. 
So that is the actual cost of Farmgate that they're actually receiving. It's gone down by 27% in the last three and a half months. It was at an all-time high of 58 cent litre, now dropped down to just below, just above 40. So the costs at that level have dramatically increased or decreased. And then they announced a 10 cent uh, litre decrease a few weeks ago, and they went straight back to the actual cooperative movement and to the farmers looking for more money off the actual product itself. So we need to have a really important debate here in the next few days about how we're going to ensure that the actual consumer knows who's getting what regarding the actual pricing of their product. And, we need and, to and the, the milk is the milk alone is a really good example. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the farmer you're saying is today getting 41 cent and the it, uh, we know the litre of milk um, or the two litres dropped um, or dropped by about 10 cent. Who makes up who's getting the rest of the money? Have, can we get an actual breakdown well, I'm actually, I'm actually going to the actual Enterprise Trade and Employment Commission now in the minute uh, because like, one of my views here is that we need to make sure that all the profits of our multinational retailers need to be published and published in Ireland, not tied into a UK model or, or another model. So we need to make sure we know who is getting the actual profit out of this industry itself. And I have a really good idea where this profit is going and I think the retailer and in fact, we have two retailers that probably have 60 to 70 percent of the entire retail market in Ireland control the actual profits and have a real stranglehold on supply. And, and that's becoming a massive issue for us going forward. The more they take over the market, the more they actually suck in the actual potential to be a major buying power. The big issue for us is the actual primary producer suffers. And the primary producer, in particular in Cork, will be absolutely devastated if they don't have the ability to make sure they get a fair price at, at farm gate. And this debate about food inflation, I think it's a really important because it affects everyone. Mm. But I just think the entire thing about what the farmer gets at, food, at the actual level compared to what's been paid at supermarket level, people in many ways don't see the actual price difference. They don't believe there's... 40 cent being paid for the farmer and one or 220 being paid for the two litres of milk for the actual consumer. We need to know what's happening in the in be- middle of yeah, that in, in, in between. And like we've seen milk and butter uh, come, uh, come down. Um, are you fearful there's a bit of a cartel going on? Because all of the other supermarkets, once one jumped, all the rest jumped in as well. And I think because of that movement, because literally within a 48-hour period you had three to four major which controlled 80% of the marketplace, they could actually slice their, their prices straight away. I think that word cartel is really important because literally one jumped and they all moved. We're proposing new legislation regarding a food ombudsman. This is important, but I'm just worried will he have enough teeth to make sure he's dealing with a multinational retailer that has really important or really strong financial routes that we won't have the ability to deal with them. We need to have a pricing and a labelling system, in my opinion, that gives you, the consumer, the ability to know who gets what on this food chain. I personally believe that what we need to have is a labelling system that tells you what the primary producer gets, what the manufacturer gets, and what the retailer gets. And then you have a really good understanding, and the public will have an understanding about who's getting what share of what market. If we don't have that, and we don't have that at the moment, the consumer is going to the actual shop, he's paying his 2 19 for the litre of milk, and he's probably thinking the farmer's mm. getting the 2 19 And if anything, he's only getting the 40 cent for it. 
And is it going to be hard for the retailers today to justify uh, justify food inflation at over 16% and general inflation at 7% and even falling? I think that's going to be a really hard argument for the actual retailers. And I think the retailers, the worry I have about the forum today is that the retailers is going to pin this back on the actual primary producer, saying the primary producer's costs have gone through the roof, which is affecting them, and that's why they've passed it on. That's why I'm worried about this debate today. This and the very fact of what you've joined us for, the primary producer isn't even there to defend themselves. And that is my primary concern mm. about this meeting. And without that link in the chain, this meeting today could be dangerous because you could have the scenario that our retailing outlets could say, well, it's not our fault. It's because of the other boys to down the food chain. And unless they're sitting at the table, they don't have the ability or the or they can't defend their industry. Now, I do realise that Minister Richmond has agreed to meet the farming community tomorrow. I think that's a really important step. But I do think this retail forum that's been set up, or that is in existence, needs to be amended. The Department of Ag, which is the Department of Agriculture and Food, food of all things, needs to be a part of this actual uh, structure itself. And the Bodies that work with them that represent the farming community, things like Tagish and Borbia, those entities need to have a seat at the table. Because I believe if you had that, you then could have an inclusive argument that involves everyone around this table regarding to the actual debate over the food prices. My worry about today is our big supermarket chains are going to bang the table and say, it's the primary producer's fault. Yeah, and Dennis and Ballyhay said the producers are given no recognition. At one time, he accepts we did get a good price because of the quality of food we were producing. But now the bigger supermarkets will just give you the figure they're willing to pay and you really just have to go with it. You have no other uh, choice. Are you in favour or what's your thought on the introduction of uh, a cap on food prices? I think that's a very dangerous uh, tool. I think uh, when you look at the cap in food prices, how to work internationally is the, is the real issue. We sell 90% of our product internationally out of the actual marketplace itself out of Ireland. So would, if you were to put a cap, would it affect that global international trade that we're stuck in? So that's one issue. I think the key here is about the consumer knowing who gets what. And I think if you had the consumer knowing who gets what regarding the actual product, it gives a fair in- indication of who's making the money. But I also think there should be legislation brought forward that the um, profits of the multinational uh, producers or retailers should be published for their Irish figures. We need to know what Tesco and everyone else is making in Ireland. And that should be brought forward in law because we need to know how much they're making off the industry. By doing that, we'd have a better understanding and then we could put more pressure back on that industry itself to make sure they're more competitive. Okay, Okay. and lots of people are making the same point. It's price transparency is what we need. Now, before we let you go, can I offer my congratulations? You were appointed the Fine Gael uh, spokesperson on agriculture yesterday. Very challenging time, isn't it, for the agricultural community? Absolutely. Look, I think we're dealing with a scenario that prices have turned to going the other way at the moment. And look, environmental issues are going to be a real part of the agricultural story for the next decade in particular. Look, for the last 25 years, it was based on traceability. Now it's about sustainability. So it's about making sure that our farmers are sustainable going forward with the challenge of climate change. 
but I do think it's a it's a challenge and I do think it's a really positive time for the farming community and we just need to promote if we possibly can young farmers and particularly young female farmers which I think unfortunately don't get enough headlines just to make sure we actually get a great a good balance across the agricultural sector. Okay, well, Fina Gale, spokesperson on agriculture, food, forestry, fisheries, and the marine, Senator Tim Lambert. And we thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. The Dyslexia Association of Ireland are running an online petition at the moment asking the government to make changes for dyslexic students sitting exams to allow them more time during the process. To discuss why this is so important, I'm joined by Rosie Bissett, who is CEO of uh, Dyslexia Ireland. Uh, good morning to you, Rosie. Good morning. And how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Uh, firstly, do we know how many young people are diagnosed as dyslexic uh, in Ireland? Uh, good question. We don't know precisely how many are diagnosed, but certainly we do know that based on international uh, statistics that at least one in 10 would be considered to be on the dyslexia spectrum. Um, but not all of those are, are likely diagnosed. Okay, and as it stands, what when somebody is diagnosed, what supports are available to pupils, uh, both in primary school and in secondary school? Um, there's a range of supports, and the supports very much depend on the degree of difficulty or, you know, where on the dyslexia spectrum the challenges arise from an individual. So, I mean, everything from certainly for any child, there is an expectation that the classroom teacher or the subject teacher will be accommodating and will differentiate the instruction and make the learning um, as inclusive as possible in terms of how they teach. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then obviously, uh, additional to that, then you'd be looking at what's called SCT, special education teaching, which would have previously been called remedial resource learning support, different, the names have changed over the years. And that would be perhaps um, either individual or small group additional tuition. It could be in the classroom, in sort of co-teaching or it could be withdrawal from the classroom um, as I say either in one-to-one or a small group working with other kids um, on their specific needs. There's various additional things then like for example some children with significant dyslexia might qualify for an exemption from Irish, some children with more severe dyslexia there are some exam exam accommodations that that, uh, they can uh, potentially get but extra time is not one of them which is leads us to why we are uh, advocating Uh, at the moment. Yeah and the reason I was asking was, I mean, it is, it's widely recognised that there are children throughout the school from primary mm-hmm. right through to leaving search who are recognised as dyslexic and the Department of Education are doing their, be- their bit to try to help them. But so it astounds me that this extra time isn't available at the state exams. Well, it astounds a lot of us, okay. Um, (laughs) Ireland is absolutely an outlier in not providing extra time at second level. Uh, The irony is is that if these students manage to get through the challenge and barriers of second level and leaving cert exams and get into third level, they'll have no problem getting extra time, okay. It's standard. Once you have your dyslexia diagnosis and you link in with the support services in, in college or in further ed, you know, extra time is a standard accommodation on offer to students with dyslexia. And in other countries across Europe, in the UK, 25% extra time in, in your A-levels. In Italy, 30%. In France, 33%. Um, at second level exams, the equivalent of um, the equivalent of our you know, junior cert and leaving cert. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really very much we are an outlier, you know, in this regard. And explain why it's important that a student with dyslexia would have that additional time at exams. 
Okay, so as, as, as many of your listeners will know, dyslexia, I suppose the challenges really are focused on literacy. And if you're under timed pressure and asked to do a lot of literacy and language processing tasks, where you're asked to do a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of recalling information, um, under timed pressure, that's creating significant barriers for individuals with dyslexia. And oftentimes they won't score as well in a timed exam and it's, it won't reflect their knowledge of a subject because literally they haven't been able to read the question as quickly as the non-dyslexic student. They're not able to write you know, as quickly as a non-dyslexic student. Therefore, they don't have the same opportunity to get their knowledge and show their knowledge and have their knowledge assessed in that form of uh, timed examination. So you would often see dyslexic uh, young people who, when they're doing continuous assignments or even when they're doing homework, they're getting good scores because they have time, okay, and they can use their strategies and they're not under that time pressure. But when it comes to exams, suddenly their results take a, no uh, take a noticeable drop, you know, and um, so that clearly shows that that exam, that timed exam, uh, creates additional barriers. It creates barriers for all of us. Listen, we all remember the stress of, of the Leaving Cert exam. Yeah. But if you have additional challenges, you know, um, in terms of that impact your ability to access the questions, that impact your ability to write as quickly as all the other students in the exam hall, then you are very disadvantaged in that timed exam. It just seems uh, so un unfair. It, uh, it, 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 re it really does. So you have this online uh, petition uh, going on, Rosie, that you're encouraging, especially families who have a dyslexic student, but you're encouraging everybody to, to sign mm -hmm. it. Absolutely. Obviously, we're asking anyone who's affected or anyone who really would like to add their voice to this call. And you can access the petition through our social media pages where on, on all the usual channels, um, you'll find us as Dyslexia Ireland or, or, or via our website, dyslexia.ie. Um, like we've been overwhelmed with, with the response. Great. We launched it, you know, a little over a day and a half ago, and we already nearly have 10,000 signatures, which I suppose is really just showing the, I suppose, the need for this accommodation. And look, we're delighted that we do have a meeting coming up in a couple of weeks now with the State Exams Commission. So we feel, you know, this obviously is showing the support uh, for this call and we hope we'll have some, you know, positive engagement with the State Exams Commission on trying to move this forward. OK, good luck with it, uh, Rosie. We'll keep in contact with you. But just before I let you go, is getting a diagnosis for dyslexia getting any any easier? I would have spoken with parents in the past who had a real struggle trying to get that official diagnosis. It's still a challenge is getting it? a diagnosis, unfortunately. And listen, this is not just for dyslexia. You, you, you'll obviously, your listeners will be familiar for this, for autism and all kinds of other things. And it's for multiple reasons, you know, um, a, a big part of which is actually we just don't have enough. Ireland is not training enough uh, professionals who do this this testing. OK, so we're not training anywhere near enough educational psychologists uh, who are the individuals who, who assess for dyslexia in this country. Um, so we're losing more than we're training each year um, and we're not keeping up with the demand. Um, so that's really a fundamental thing. And certainly we have called uh, on various occasions. I think one of the things that's really critical, not just for dyslexia, but for, for various other learning difficulties, is we need much greater forward planning in terms of the increasing the number of training places. 
okay, for psychologists, occupational therapists, you know, speech and language therapists, um, so that we have an adequate number of graduates coming out to meet the real level of demand, you know, um, like we provide assessments on the Dyslexia Association. We, we run a service from our from our, our office here in, here in, in Dublin, uh, including remote assessment. Our waiting list is, a, is the best part of a year long at the moment. And we'd love to shorten it, yeah. but it's impossible to actually hire additional educational psychologists at the moment. They literally Crazy. don't exist. Yeah, we're not, you know? yeah, yeah, we need to train them. And then when we train oh. them, we need to retain them in, in this country exactly. and not uh, not educate them for the boat of the plane. Listen, uh, Rosie, I've enjoyed our chat. Keep in contact with us. And uh, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is Rosie Bissett, who is CEO of the Dyslexia Association. Please sign their petition. You can also find it on change.org. Some of your calls and comments coming in. Firstly, a listener says, Hi, Patricia, I got an email the other day, supposedly from Debenhams, uh, asking me to open it and find out more. I didn't. I'm wondering, did any of your other listeners receive such an email? Uh, I felt it was a scam thanking you. Listen, if you ever think it's a scam, just don't open it. Don't click on anything. Even though usually just opening an email it's what you would do afterwards and clicking on links uh, etc but if you weren't waiting it could just be that they've sent you out you know the way you get on mailing lists I get loads I'm always trying to opt out of mailing lists because I can get loads of emails from different companies if you ever buy anything from a company they have a tendency then to flood you with emails on special offers so it might have been something as innocent as that but if you're suspicious in any way because there's so many scams out there at the moment then you, d- you did the right thing just ignore 0818 103103 and hi Patricia unfortunately I missed the end of your programme yesterday I was wondering did you get did you hear from anyone about the rubbers for the end of the crutches I'm assuming this is the same lady who contacted us yesterday her husband has crutches and she can't get the rubbers for the end of them she was able to get them at one time but she's having difficulty she's in the West Cork area Uh, straight away we had some people on saying that if you could link in with a physiotherapist in the HSC they're certainly able to uh, provide them but I'm assuming assuming that this uh, because I think this gentleman has been using crutches for life so I don't think he's interacting in any way with uh, with a physiotherapist and then the other uh, suggestion that came in this listener being from West Cork was that Atkins in Kinsale certainly have them but then Dermot was on just this morning to say the piece at the end of the crutch is called a furl did you know that? I did not know that. Thank you, Dermot, for educating us on that. Uh, Dermot has purchased furls many times before he gets them in the Army and Navy store in Middleton. Uh, the reason he's purchased them, he uses them for the end of walking sticks and it's the very same that goes on the end of a crutch. But he makes the point in the Army and Navy store in Middleton, if the crutch is wider than the ferrules they have in stock, then they'll measure it and order it for you. And he said they are extremely helpful in that store. That's the Army and Navy store in Middleton. Thank you for that, uh, Dermot. Uh, so hopefully that lady will get her husband's crutches sorted out and get those furls that we now know they're called, the rubber tip on the end of them. And then John Paul says a number of calls when I mentioned earlier that a listener had gotten onto us yesterday about gluten-free foods and about an app that they had downloaded her husband. It's only recently, I think just before Christmas, been diagnosed with uh, celiac as a celiac and uh, was finding all the foods really expensive and was a bit confused as to, you know, what food contains gluten, what doesn't contain gluten. So they downloaded something called the GF scanner, gluten-free GF uh, scanner. So because I follow, I'm not celiac, but I follow a gluten-free diet, I decided to download it yesterday and I had great fun <laughs> scanning everything that's already in my cupboard to see what is gluten-free and what isn't. Uh, and it's simply, and um, John Paul's a number of people saying, could I call it out again? G- if 
you just go into your app store and look for GF Scanner, it will come up. It's free to download and, and obviously free to use. But then Breda in Mallow was on uh, to say she heard me talk about the gluten-free app. So she downloaded it this morning and she, like me, was scanning things away in the cupboard. But um, uh, and, and she's got items that are gluten-free as well. But she says it comes up that it's only a guidance and the advice is to check the ingredients. I'm confused now, says Breda. Items I know to be gluten-free, but it still says check the ingredients. That can't be the correct app, is it? I have the C Celiac Society's gluten-free app. It never says to check the ingredients, any vice on the correct app. Well, I was unaware that the Celiac Society has a gluten-free app, Breda. I would be certainly going with the Celiac Society's gluten-free app. Obviously, the app that you, you and I have both uh, downloaded, it does come up as that, saying it's only a guidance. And it would have to for them to protect themselves. It can only be a guidance on any particular item. But it's just a good good guidance for people who are new to celiac or new to following a gluten-free diet but certainly I was unaware that the Celiac Society has a gluten-free app that if I can get my hands on that that certainly is the one I am using thank you I would be using thank you for that uh, breather hi I am celiac and diabetic I'm finding it very hard to get Juvela bread. Now, this is a brand name because I had to Google it. J-U-V-E-L-A. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Juvela bread uh, in uh, shops. It was freely available at one one stage, but gone missing. Also, Helen's scone mix and Helen's brown bread mix. They were jolly nice, but don't seem to don't seem to be able to get them anymore. I hope they come back soon. That just ties in with so many items that have gone missing for a whole variety of different reasons. I mean, a lot of it, of course, is to do what's going on in the Ukraine. I mean, at one stage we had a huge issue with getting. Um, tomatoes and we had a huge issue well I certainly did tomatoes and red and green uh, peppers and that was to do with the weather situation in Spain Uh, Spain were very cold and then they went to very hot and there was a huge issue with the growing of uh, tomatoes now that issue seems to have sorted itself out because I haven't been having problems getting tomatoes and uh, peppers lately I'm assuming if any bread items are missing uh, that is possibly to do with grain and I take it that that's to do with Ukraine but every time you go into the supermarket you'll notice that there are items uh, missing and some of it goes back to COVID uh, times but certainly a lot of it now is going on to the Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine but let's call it out I don't know where this listener is texting from that's why when anybody sends in a text like that about a particular item if you can just put the area of the city or county you're in because I don't want to point somebody who say is in North Cork I don't want to say oh that's available down in Castletown Bear it's of no use to you because the county is so big so if you just include on your text or your call to John Paul where you're texting or calling from it does make it easier if somebody wants to suggest where the item might be available so has anybody spotted Juvella bread it's a special bread for uh, people with celiac and people who follow a gluten free diet and also Helen's scone mix and Helen's brown bread mix has anybody seen that lately in supermarkets if so please let us know 0818 103 103 and then on the price of everything and the fact that we know that the supermarkets are today um, being brought in before the Minister 
of State, uh, Neil Redmond, and they're going to be given uh, a little over a six-week ultimatum to bring down the price of a basket of groceries, and we would closely monitor that. Uh, somebody saying, Patricia, don't forget mortgages. Mortgage rates have uh, gone through the roof. That is affecting so many people. Yeah, that's on top of people going out to the supermarkets every week and discovering that everything is going up. But somebody says, I don't understand why people are asking why prices haven't come down because inflation is slowing. Remember, inflation slowing means prices are still going up or they're just going up at a slower pace. For prices to fall, we need deflation, which is not occurring. Yeah, I absolutely accept your economic theory there. But I think the issue and the reason that the government and the reason that consumer groups are calling for it is the fact that food inflation is running at 16.6%. I think it came down by 0.2% for the first time last month. But it is still way above the general rate of inflation. I mean, the general rate of inflation is at 7% and it's dropping. I mean, it's expected that it could go down to 4.5. It's it's still too high. But there's never been an explanation as to why if the general rate of inflation is running at, say, 7%, at the highest it was at was 9%. Why is food inflation not at the same rate? There's a big difference between 7% on inflation and nearly 17% when it comes to food inflation. And I think that's the questions that have been asked. And it was, you know, one of the points that I made when I was speaking with Senator Tim Lombard, it's the lack of transparency around pricing. Like we have no way of knowing how much profit is going to the producers, how much profit is going to the processors, how much profit is going to the retailers. We have slight knowledge in, in for the milk, for example, was the one that was used today in that we know at the farm gate they're getting 41 cent for a litre of milk. And yet we go in and we're paying close to one euro ten. So what the difference between the 41 and the one euro ten Who's making all of that profit and how much of that, you know, can be broken down to cost for electricity? It's just there's not enough transparency there. And I think that's what is needed more than ever. But yes, uh, you you are right. Prices will. Uh, 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 we still have inflation, but it is it is at a slower uh, rate. Uh, Joe says consumers simply need a break. Householders now are at breaking point with rent, energy and food inflation. Now, Joe says dairy farmers who Tim Lombard was coming out batting for today, he says, you've got to remember, they had record profits last uh, year. But when you say dairy farmers, are you saying that for small farmers as well? I'm always trying to, when we talk about the farming community, I'm always trying to think of the small family run farms. Many of those are barely keeping their heads above uh, water but you are right consumers absolutely do need a break and then Mossy in West Cork saying Hi Patricia I have no dog in the fight whatsoever but the farmer and agriculture is king of the food chain they are the nuts and bolts and they are the heart of food production in society I live in rural West Cork and I see what's happening every day within the farming community farmers and people in agriculture deserve way more respect in the community we all have to remember that good food equates to good health. No question there. Uh, thanking nutrition. That's from Mossy in West Cork. Yeah, that's a valid, valid point indeed. We do need uh, to look after our uh, farmers. And thank you to the listener who is looking for the ju- the Juvella bread, this gluten-free 
bread and the Helen school mix and brown bread says she's living in the West Cork area. So anyone out shopping in supermarkets in the West Cork area, if you spot it, could you let us know so we can let this listener know? 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. Full and part-time bar and waiting staff. They're wanted for Okanas in Mallow. CVs please to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com and it's for the attention of PJ. Or you can drop it into Okana. Okanas on Bank Place in Mallow. First and second fixed carpenters. They're wanted for Cork City. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. While O'Flynn Motors in Mallow, they've got vacancies for a motor technician. It's to join their team. 022-20808. And drivers are wanted for diggers, cranes, lorries uh, and Arctic dumpers. It's for work throughout Cork City and County. Full details available from ward personnel on 021-233-9120. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A story that continues to rumble on, and certainly we dealt with it on the programme on Monday, and it is to do with the anger that's out there about RTE and the GAA about putting certain matches behind a paywall and we know as we discussed on uh, Monday there are 38 matches this year that are going behind a paywall meaning if you want to see it uh, you're going to have to sign up for GAA Go and if it's just an individual match you want to watch it's uh, 12 euro I think it's 78 euro if you sign up for the entire year some people feel it's great value for money and it's a great way to see matches but others then are feeling like we we mentioned age action feel that the older generation the people that men that many will call out and say you, you know built the GAA to what it is today that they are the ones who are really being excluded from uh, this well now uh, the GAA and RTE it turns out that they split a 1.1 million dividend on the back of the profits that they made from GAA Go. Now this was long before they moved last Saturday evening's games behind the paywall but these figures are coming from the most recently filed accounts Now the controversy is continuing on all levels around streaming uh, services around and around the, the, this whole notion of streaming uh, matches but GAA Go is a joint venture between RTE and between the GAA and in 2021 now some will say oh well come on that was in the middle of the pandemic so lots of people couldn't get to matches so they were signing up but regardless they still made a very healthy profit of 1.1 million but what's really put a spanner in the works is Virgin Media came out yesterday and they have questioned RTE's commercial partnership with the GAA Uh, for example they say that the GAA did not approve other broadcasters to see whether they were interested or not in broadcasting games. Now that was when the existing deal with Sky finished at the end of 2022. What they did instead was they decided Sky finished, the contract was up, so they decided then to go straight behind the paywall on 
GAA uh, go. But they didn't go to Virgin Media or indeed to any other uh, a platform to see would they be interested getting into a contract uh, with them. And reading from this statement that was issued yesterday by Virgin Media, they say now the question that must be asked was, did RTE pay anything for these rights or did they just agree to keep them behind the paywall? And obviously then that will drive additional revenues to both of the partners, i.e. RTE and GAA. And Virgin Media also added, giving the multi-million increases in state funding to RTE over recent years, RTE now has more sports rights than it can show on its channels, with licence payers now being forced to further subsidise RTE by paying for GAA sports content. Uh, content through this joint venture with the GAA. Now, the GAA declined to issue a statement on the back of what Virgin Media had to say, but one source with knowledge of the matter said Virgin Media did have ample opportunity over the course of another uh, number of meetings to express interest in rights for the Games but they chose not to do so somebody within RTE but that's not an official statement it's just somebody with some knowledge of how the in, how the inside of RTE works um, they RTE as I say won't uh, won't and uh, didn't comment on Virgin Media's claims but the GAA uh, were entirely responsible for for distributing its championship matches that was the only thing that RTE would say now GAA go accounts, they show subscriptions rose 46% in 2021 and that so it brought in 2.8 million. Uh, the business it's got a very small staff of just five people. They also picked up sponsorship nearly 80,000 extra came in on sponsorship so the top profits then pushed it above 1 uh, million. Now the uh, one Fine Gael TD, Alan Dillon he's confirmed that he is now writing to the Finance Minister Michael McGrath and he is also going to write to the uh, media minister Catherine Martin and he's going to request that the TV licence fee should be reduced by €50 in this year's budget because he has described GAA Go as a licence fee increase by the back door. Now, I think a lot of people would like to see the licence fee come down, but let's wait and see what reaction this uh, Deputy Alan Dillon gets. The Taoiseach, of course, everyone is rowing in on this. The Yervaradkar echoed the calls of the Thornishta Micheál Martin. He says he wants uh, to put a... He feels there should be a review into the process around, and particularly around the games and which games they decide to put behind the paywall. Leo Varadkar said in the Dáil yesterday that the solution seems to lie in making sure the most popular and most important matches are the ones that are free to air and are shown on RT and are shown on TG uh, Cahar. And of course, that statement uh, followed what the Tánaiste Micheál Martin, uh, when he was saying the selection process for the games be behind the paywall, he's saying that that's something that has to be re- reviewed. Leo said a potential win-win could emerge if they could identify the big matches and make sure that the big matches are free to air on RTE and uh, TG Cahar. Now, no such review of the process of selecting games on the pay-per-view has been considered by either RTE or GAA so far. And the Social Democrats, Jennifer Whitmore, she said that both the GAA and RTE have come uh, together, she says, to essentially privatise the viewing of what is our national sport. She's called for dull time to be set aside to debate 
which events should be free to air. And she makes the point that people pay their television licence and we have no choice. We have to pay our television licence. And um, she says, and by paying that, it's a public service broadcaster and it should be providing the service to people uh, for the licence that they pay. So it is an issue that is rumbling on. We will continue to monitor it closely. 0818 103 103. Now, unfortunately, for mortgage holders and for borrowers, the European Central Bank has announced a number of rate hikes in recent months, which, of course, is affecting the amount that people pay back every month. But what about those who have money on deposit? Why are they not seeing higher interest rates on their savings? John Lowe, the money doctor, says it's disgraceful. And he joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Nice to talk to you again. And lovely to talk to you. We've got to go back to July of last year, and that's when the ECB started to raise interest rates. And they've steadily been increasing uh, uh, since. Firstly, can you you explain why the ECB needed to put up interest rates? Well, it's the only tool they have to curb inflation. And that's why it's happening. I'm not sure even the latest hike was even warranted. But uh, it suits, I think there's a political agenda here as well, Patricia, which is another day's work where, you know, both in France and Germany, there's going to be elections soon. So they want to reduce then these rates down by the time the elections come down. That's one theory, one conspiracy theory. Uh, But there is actually, as I say, it's the only way they can curb inflation. Inflation, as you know, over the last year has gone up because of the Ukraine war, because energy crisis, cost of living, food, all of those things have gone up. So, but there's been seven hikes in the ECB rate, up to 3.75% since last July. And that's a huge amount. Um, but it's not been reflected on the deposit rates. I mean, the average um, kind of deposit rates in Europe is 1.92%. Um, the average uh, new household deposit here in Ireland, 1.03. So it's nearly a, a full 1% differential. Um, so th- it hasn't been passed on. And that means that the banks are you know, very nicely kind of building up their profits for the, for both their shareholders and, and for their own uh, usage of it later. So I, I do really think it's disgraceful. Is it greed on behalf of the financial institutions? Uh, it's 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 an opportunity to create a little bank of money and keep the shareholders happy. That's basically what it is. Um, it's a bit like, you know, even when interest rates go up, uh, you know, in the mortgage end, um, you know, they they will do it straight away, especially on the tracker rates, uh, whereas, you know, they'll be slow to put it up on a deposit rate because it, it suits them because the, if they put it up very fast, it means they get their money in straight away. They're, they're starting to make money on, on, on those interest rates. And are they, but, the, the pillar banks, are they making profits at the moment? Oh, they are. Yeah. Billions. They are making billions of profits and they'll make more because of this. Um, I mean, the very, very best deposit rate, uh, Patricia, in Ireland, Barnum, is now the 10-year National Solidarity Bond. The NTMA, the National Treasury Management Agency, they have, you know, the, the state savings, as it's called. A lot of people think it's on post, but it's the NTMA, National Treasury. They're the government body who bring out these state savings, which includes prize bonds, which includes the National Solidarity Bond, the National Savings. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Certificate, the National Savings Bond. But the National Solidarity Bond is a 10 year investment where you're looking at 16% into your fist. That went up a few weeks ago from 10%. 16% tax free into your fist. When you analyze it, um, that works out at 2.24%. So that's even higher than the, the European average. That's higher, but you have to wait, Patricia, 10 years for it. Yeah. And if you break it, if you decide you put in, you know, the minimum is 500, the maximum is 120, and say you put in 50,000, and then you take out 10,000 in five years' time, then you've lost all the interest on that 10,000. Oh. All the interest. So there's, there's rules and regulations. What I can tell you, compared to the stock market from 1991 to 2020, that's 30 years, the average growth annually in the stock market was 10.72%. Yeah, so, so, you know, yeah, the people, people are... Who, who, are, who are leaving their money in, okay, it is it is guaranteed by the government up to 100,000 yeah. under the deposit protection scheme. And for instance, you could put 250,000 into prize bonds and that's guaranteed by the government. That's the maximum you can put in. I have clients who, when you could put in half a million, I've got three clients with half a million in prize bonds. One of them um, I, I was talking to recently, and she said, John, you have no idea the pleasure I get from listening to my letterbox go on a regular basis, because she was getting these 50s and 100s on a regular basis. So actually, I did ask her at the time, said, did you ever pot them all up over a period of a year and put it as a percentage of your holding? And she said, yes, I did. And I got 1.4%. I said, that is brilliant, because 1.4% is net. Gross it up, you're looking at 2%. You wouldn't get anything like that in yeah. a deposit account in and there's and, and the thing is, John, we know there is a lot of money, isn't there, on deposit. And people Huge. have I mean, a lot of savings, particularly, I think, because of COVID, people weren't able to spend money. There's a correct. lot of people have, yeah. are sitting on a lot of money. 
Yeah, and I mean, you can see it just even from the prize bonds itself. They have a record amount of money, of which uh, it's 4.4 billion in in uh, in the prize bonds, of which um, the government give 0.35 percent back. Now that's been reduced. That's another you know thing that I'd have a, a problem with as well. That they should be a little bit more generous on their prizes. That's 15.4 million, by the way, is given out every year in prizes. And is there anything that the government or the central bank can do to force the pillar banks to pay more interest on deposit? Um, well, well they, they can apply political pressure. I mean, let's face it, they own the bank still. And they, they certainly, through the central bank, they actually manage them. Um, so they, they can apply political pressure. But, you know, um, it, it, it's, they, they have an excuse. You know, they, they want to keep a, you know, a rainy day fund, you know, in case things go bad again. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of problems in America, by the way. You know, banks are failing mm. in America. And not only that, but there's a, there's a, there's a thing called debt limits where the government uh, over there are, are trying to push, push through sentence, um this increase of a debt limit. And if they don't, by a certain date, it means the, the country could go bankrupt and the dollar would be a different thing that we know, know of. And this has happened once before in 2009. But that's a really, really scary, serious thing um, that, that is happening in America. So, I mean, you know, that's why some of the, the, the banks over here will be saying, well, we need to, you know, build up a little bit of a nest egg. Yeah, but some people would say a rainy day fund for, for a lot of people, John. It's raining now. <laughs> well, there's an old saying, I think, that, you know, um, don't wait uh, for the storm. Uh, you start dancing in the rain. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, because we've been discussing it this morning, the fact that the, the big supermarkets and the retail forum is, is taking place uh, today and the government trying to, almost going to put an ultimatum to the supermarkets that they must bring down the cost of a, of a basket of uh, groceries can you see groceries prices coming down? Uh, not not initially, but I think that in time uh, they will. I mean, you saw milk and butter already kind of start to kind of come down. Um, but again, and I don't think it's it, unlike the bank senses that the supermarkets are trying to make hay while the sun shines. I think there's a genuine cost factor out there. Everything is more expensive, no matter what you do. I mean, I'm looking for staff, Patricia. And, you know, COVID has really, not just my sector, but every sector where you can't get staff who will do a full five day, you know, a week. They want to do maybe four days or three days. And then of those four or three days, they want two of those days at home. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's it's a very difficult time. Um, and... Uh, you know, for, for a lot of sectors, uh, but in particular, the, the food sector as well, yeah. and, and for the people who have to buy the groceries. Yeah, and, and that's the one thing we all have to buy every single week. OK, exactly. listen, John, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. No problem. No Good problem. morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, John Lowe, a.k.a. The Money Doctor. Cork Today on C103. This year marks the 15th staging of the Cork City Marathon with the addition of a 10 kilometre run as part of this year's event. Registration for Marathon Day is now open and I'm told places are filling up. So pardon the bond, get moving. Conor O'Keefe an ultra marathon runner is an ambassador for this year's event and he joins me on WhatsApp. Uh, good morning to you, Connor. 
Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. Is a 10k run a good way to introduce people to marathon running? Because sometimes the idea of doing your marathon can be a little bit intimidating. Yeah, look, I think if people are going to jump straight into a, a marathon it might be a, a lot to bite off you know so i think working your way up through the distance is a great way of of kind of building up um the the your, your own personal ability to do the runs but also just getting you used to racing you know getting to the start line and um going through the race successfully and coming to the end you know it's a it's a it's a great buzz when did you come when did you complete your first marathon can you remember my first marathon, would you believe, was actually Cork City Marathon ah. in 2018. So I that was my first ever marathon. And I actually was one of those very silly people that just decided, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go straight for the marathon. <laughs> uh, gave, gave myself six months to train for it and kind of hobbled my way to the to the finish line. And is, is six months enough? Well, six months would be enough, depending on your your uh, um, your previous running experience. You know, it would be enough if uh, if you've done something like a half marathon before and you've got plenty of training blocks behind you. It would be plenty of time. Okay, but and have you kept a record of how many marathons? Because I introduced you as an an ultra marathon. How many have you completed since twenty eighteen? Uh, well, yeah, I've I've completed many. Uh, I I recently completed um, a, a kind of a charity challenge for Pieta House called Project Thirty Two, where I ran thirty two marathons in thirty two days in the thirty two counties of Ireland. Um, so I I've I'm very familiar with the distance now at this stage. What was that like? That challenge uh, last year. Um, it was absolutely incredible. It was it was. Just something I, I didn't even uh, know exactly what I was going to experience before I started. I thought that I was going to be in for something that was going to be um, incredibly tough um, and something that was going to um, you know, be, be an incredible physical challenge. But in fairness, it was actually turned out to be one of the, the most beautiful things I've ever done in my life. Uh, I spent 32 days out on the road running, doing exactly what I love to do uh, every day. My father was there as my kind of one-man army, my crew looking after me, feeding me, making sure that everything was, was okay every day. And... and uh, you know, it's very, very rare, Patricia, that you, you go through life and every person you come across wishes you well yeah. and wishes and, and, and gives and wills you forward. And that was what was happening with us every day. Everybody was looking to see how they could help, what they could do. And uh, it was just a tremendous experience. And I think, you know, the fact I, I remember that Project 32, I think it was the fact that it's in aid of uh, Pieta and, and we know how important Pieta is, particularly last weekend when we were focusing on uh, darkness into light. And of course, Connor. Running is good for your mental health, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think any type of activity whatsoever. I think there's, there might be a lot of people that will be listening to the radio this morning and think, oh, you know what, I'll never run a marathon. And that's fine. But it's ju- just about, you know, getting the body and the mind active. Um, and sometimes by getting the, the body active, you actually deactivate the mind. You give that you know you give your 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 mind time to relax and time to decompress and away from the mobile phone and emails and work and maybe the kids or you know everything and and just gives 
just you know your own time to do that you know so it's it's i think movement in in any way shape or form is incredibly important for yeah, the mental yeah for mental you're health. you're instead you're instead of focusing on the busy brain you're focusing on breathing and putting one step in front of the other or, or whatever activity it is you you're doing now have you got a personal goal for this year's cork marathon in your in your own head yeah, I do. You know, this is like my first time really where I've tried to, um, you know, running for me has just been a love. Um, and it's, you know, and it's amazing now to just uh, um, turn that love into um, something where I can really take it, you know, a bit a bit more seriously and actually uh, look to do a time. So I'm, I'm looking to do the uh, the infamous sub three hour marathon. Oh. So I want to try and do it in, in under three hours. So I'm in for I'm in for hopefully just under three hours of um, being at the red line, you know, being like like the car revving, being at the red line for for that long, um, and and just trying to give it my best shot, you know. And I think that's the thing about racing is it is a great equalizer. Uh, like you know, the marathon, half marathon, ten kilometers, no matter what happens, no matter who tolls the line for any of these races, it might take someone three hours, four hours, five hours, but everybody has to cover the distance, the same distance, you know. And I think that's the the beauty about these races and like we hear of runners hitting the wall uh, during a marathon what advice Mm. do you have for people how do you get through that Um, I think it starts weeks before the marathon um, I think it really starts the, the week before the, the weeks um, kind of building up to the marathon where you, you start to get the mental game, um, uh, you know, kind of down because uh, you have your, you know, all every marathon runner now that's listening to us uh, uh, knows about the long run. You know, it's usually done on the weekend. Uh, it's probably about 20 or 22 miles or whatever, just just kind of shy of that marathon mark. Um, and you're going on your long runs. And those are the testing grounds, you know, for your body and your mind, you know, and how you're going to be able to hone the two of those to show up for you on race day. Um, and I think that's that's what I would say to people is use those long runs as a way to build that confidence within yourself so that when you're in the marathon, you're at that kilometer 36, 37, you know, you've got that five or six K left to finish that you can kind of say to yourself, look, we've been here before. We've done this and um, we've put in the work. We went out, we laced up the runners when we didn't want to. We got out when it was cold and it was raining months back during the winter and we've built up the mileage and it's time to finish this out, you know, and and that type of self-talk goes an awful long way when you when you get to the finish. And I tell you one thing, right, uh, from running the Cork City Marathon as well, I can tell you one thing, the crowds are just so supportive they will give you that last bit of a, you know, a bit of a burst to get you across the line for that last two or three kilometers. And, and that's another beautiful thing about running is it's just a great, um, it, it, it's a great way of, of bringing people together. And I think that's what anybody who's, who's listened to this now, and maybe they haven't signed up for the marathon or the half marathon or the 10K uh, yet, is that if you get involved with something like this, you you get yourself ready for a day where it's just, a beautiful celebration of people, of movement, of racing, of of it's just so many magnificent things. And if you haven't, you know, if you haven't experienced that, if you're if you're a runner and you know you you do running just for yourself and you haven't experienced the big race day, it's an absolutely fantastic thing to get involved in. And I, I'll mention just as well, Patricia, for anybody that is um, you know thinking about entering any of the races, I have a ten percent discount code as well. It's called it's 
uh, all capitals, Connor CCM, so C-O-N-O-R, and then it's CCM for Cork City Marathon. If you type that into to the sign up, you'll get 10% off. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a fantastic. Well done. Well done. And, and it's also important as well. I'm, I'm thinking of the people who are in training and are doing this for the first time, or maybe even those people now considering doing the 10K. You're not a failure if you don't finish the race. No, not at all. You're, 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 you're a success uh, from the minute you lace up the runners, you know, and, and I think that's this is the thing about uh, about life is it takes we're, we're an awful we're, we're we are far more courageous and far more tough than we actually give ourselves credit for. So the idea of somebody who hasn't done a race before or somebody who has never done a marathon before and them signing up for that, you know, there's there's so many crossroads in our lives where we have a choice. We have that choice of whether to do something or whether to do nothing. And if you make that choice to do something, whatever it is, however far you go with it is an absolute success. And I, I know myself, I've had my failures in, in uh, getting DNFs, which is did not finish in ultramarathons where I couldn't actually finish the race myself. And I, 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 saw, myself, I saw it as a setback but I saw it as a huge learning curve. And this is the thing. It's, um, you know, the, the, the old adage, the man in the arena. Everybody judges the man in the arena. But for somebody to get into that arena, whatever arena it may be, that's already the victory. And it's the victory within themselves. Well, don't you're a great motivational speaker as well, uh, Connor. besides being an ultra marathon uh, runner. And then finally, uh, post run, is it still drink chocolate milk? yeah the number one go-to recovery uh tool that i use is um a big uh carton of muju chocolate milk (laughs) just i'll have an old an old toasty or something and then wash it down with the with the chocolate milk and it is just the best way to recover for me and nothing tastes better for sure listen connor enjoy it's on the june bank holiday uh weekend and thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today no worries, Patricia. Thank uh, you very Good morning much. to you, Connor O'Keefe. And registration for either the full, the half marathon are now what they've just introduced at 10K is still uh, open, but you do need to slots are filling up uh, fast. CorkCityMarathon.ie That's CorkCityMarathon.ie A lot of commentary to get through uh, coming in from listeners. Let me take a look at uh, some of them. Uh, people obviously are reflecting on the price of everything and this has got a lot to do with what's happening today with the Minister of State, Niall Richmond, uh, calling in the retail forum seven weeks ahead of schedule and it's expected that supermarkets will be given uh, given an ultimatum. They will have to bring down the price of the basket of groceries and it's looking like they'll have to bring it down before the next scheduled meeting of the retail forum, which I think is the 21st of uh, June. They weren't meant to meet until the 21st of June, but... uh, People are so struggling at the moment and everybody's talking about the price of groceries and the effect that it is having on families who are already hit by increases in things like energy prices, mortgages have gone up. So because of that, Nile Richmond said, oh, I'll bring him in earlier. So he's bringing him in uh, today and we'll wait and see because the supermarkets are going to have to explain you know, how they're making profits, what kind of profits are they making and also, you know, what efforts are they making to bring down the price for consumers and as we heard earlier when I was chatting with Tim Lombard, the Neil Richmond is expected to meet with the farmers and the producers tomorrow but I think... 
listening to Tim Lambert this morning, I think he had a good point. I think it isn't. It's a pity they weren't all around the one table because it's going to be he said, she said, and they're making profit. No, he's making profit. Whereas if you had them all around the table, we could try to get what I spoke about earlier, some kind of transparency around pricing to find out who's making the profits and who is not. Donald says, Patricia, food uh, for on food prices, the farmer's cost of producing food if is savage. If the Greens in government, if they get their way, it's going to cost even more. And that's where the farming community will say they're being squeezed on both ends. They're being squeezed when they bring their product to market in that there's a set price that particularly some of the large supermarkets will pay. But then on the other side, they're being squeezed because the cost of everything has gone up uh, for them as well. Uh, Hi, this is from Pat, says Patricia. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think the mother of all ripoffs at the moment surely has got to be at the petrol pumps. Your 20 euro that you're now buying to put petrol or diesel into your car is worth around 15 uh, euro. Where is the watchdog? Well, it's it's come down slightly. I mean, it's certainly come down. I mean, remember at one stage, Pat, we were paying over two euro a litre for both diesel and petrol. And it is coming down. Diesel is falling quicker than petrol. Never been able to quite get an explanation on that, but certainly that has been happening for uh, quite some time. And the Diesel now is cheaper than uh, petrol. Jim says, Hi Patricia, last week I noticed inside in Lidl that the price of butter had been reduced as indeed, I think they were the first, or was it Tesco? I can't remember anyway, they were one of the first to go with one of the price drops. Anyway, there was huge signage pointing out the butter had been reduced and went down by 40 cent uh, a pound. But Patricia, they didn't mention that they put the price of bread up. I normally buy a French stick when I'm in the supermarket. It was normally costing 80 cent. Suddenly notice it's gone up to 89 cent. That's an increase of nine cent. But what people also need to factor in and are not taking note of that nine cent would actually go to 10 cent because they don't give you your one cent back. So it's actually 90 cent for the French stick. It is very clever of them, Jim, but it isn't uh, very clear. Well, you'll only pay the extra one cent, Jim, if that's the only item you're buying. I mean, they'll round up at the end. So everything doesn't go up by uh, a cent. And of course, as one person pointed out, when we were talking about rounding up and rounding down, the best way to avoid that is pay by card because when you pay by card, you pay the actual amount. They don't round up, they don't round down. They only do the rounding. It's on cash because they don't have a lot of the one and the, the two cent uh, coins. But if you have exactly 89 cent, Jim, they will have to take it from you. They can't force you to round up or round round down. And then Marie said at one stage, Dunn stores were running an ad campaign and it was about various items for one euro. And there was a lot of the stables. It was things like eggs and oranges and different other fruit, uh, etc. Well, Marie says, has anybody noticed those one euro offers are all now gone to one euro 40. Uh, and for, that's 40% on just one item. And yeah, you see, that's a lot when you're putting everything into the basket. And when you get to the till at the end, suddenly what might be only 10, 20 cent of an increase it all adds uh, up morning Patricia's her name on this there isn't the cost of some groceries is increased and I've also noticed the amounts are getting smaller well, yeah yeah we've been talking about that that's shrink Somebody yesterday only pointed out they normally buy 12 bottles of water. They went in one of the supermarkets, they went in and they bought it. It's remained at the same price, but it's only when they went home they realised the 12 bottles of water 
when they opened it up, it's gone down to nine bottles of uh, water. So technically, what's that? 20%, 25%, it's a quarter of it gone. So it's 25% more they've ended up paying for the same water. Nothing else has uh, changed. Anyway, this listener's advice is that when you get to the res- to the checkout, normally the... T- the person working on the checkout, check and I think it kind of started during COVID times. Do you want a receipt? They ask you, do you want it or not? I never remember being asked that before. Did that start during COVID so we could stop handling items? Maybe it did. Anyway, they now ask. I think this happens at every single supermarket. Do you want a till receipt? My advice to everyone is make sure you take your till receipt. This listener has gotten into the custom of doing it and when he or she gets home they look over the till receipt. I noticed for example only lately there was an extra item added that I did not purchase. I'm going back to that supermarket today with my receipt and I want them to refund me the difference. So my my advice to shoppers today is take your receipt and then when you get home take time to sit down and look through your receipt uh, to make sure that you haven't been overcharged. Ah, and I don't know how that happens with scanning. How could they scan something in that you didn't then pay for? I can understand how something gets scanned twice in error, but I can't understand how you, something would end up on your till receipt that you hadn't purchased because they scan everything. So I'd, 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 I'd come back to me when you go into the supermarket and let me know the explanation you got, please. 0818 103 103. Uh, Dervla offering advice to the listener whose husband needs the furls. We've discovered the name of it. The rubber bit that comes at the end of crutches and walking sticks. Dervla said a piece of advice for that listener. Tell them to contact their doctor. The doctor then should be able to put them in contact with the district nurse. The district nurse can then refer them to an occupational therapist through the HSC and the occupational therapist then, uh, the that listener's husband may actually be eligible for new crutches. Yeah, because if he's he's had them all his life was what was on the uh, text and if the rubbers are wearing away, maybe he needs a new uh, crutches. But there'll be a lot of work involved in that and, and I guarantee you there will be a lot of waiting times between the doctor making the referral, the district nurse calling, making the referral either to occupational therapist or a, phys- a, a, a physiotherapist. I don't know which deals with their crutches but there'll be a time lapse. In the meantime, the woman needs to get the tips for the top of the crutches. But thank you, that certainly is a good advice. And other people are in for our listener who is both diabetic and is celiac and is finding it difficult to get a particular juvella. It's a brand name of bread that the listener particularly likes. Miriam Balancolic says, tell that listener it, even though she's in West Cork, but she might be able to make it to Balancolic. It's available at Duns in Balancolic, but it's, if it's available in Duns in Balancolic, I would suggest maybe going in if you have another Duns closer to you and ask them, could they get it in for you? Because obviously if one Duns has it, it means it's in the warehouse somewhere. And someone else says that the majority of Duns and Super Value both stock that bread. A listener has seen it uh, available. And then Sheila's in the city and she said your listeners should try Super Value in Carrigaline for Helen's gluten-free mixes because that was the other one she uh, mentioned. Ara would suggest contacting the makers. They may be able to point you into where a local store is. There's also a scone mix in the sewing range that is duty-free, that is duty-free, gluten-free and it is quite good. So thank you. I love when lots of people try to help out others. Uh, Donal in Carrigaline always wanting to alert you to scams. Any new scams during the rounds? Let us know about scams. Actually, let me reach for my own phone. I got a text message 
Um, yesterday, and this this is a newish one. Now, it did we did have a listener, I think, drew our attention to this last week, and I remember saying, oh, I haven't come across that before. Lo and behold, then I got it yesterday, and it was a text message. It came from an Irish number, the usual. That's spoofing. That's is probably genuinely somebody's phone number, but they're not sending me the text. And it was we I, we have identified you as eligible for a discounted energy bill under the Energy Bills Support Scheme. You can apply via and then you're meant to hit a link and it's it's purporting to be from Electric Ireland. Now, I know straight away, it, it, even though I am an Electric Ireland customer, I know straight away that it is a scam because, as I say, somebody brought it up yesterday. But it's the newest one doing the rounds that I'm aware of. And what I don't like about this one is because people are really struggling with their energy bills, that people... Older people may think, oh, that must be something new from the government because, you know, that they put on it. It's a discounted energy under the energy bill support scheme. And older people know that they've been helped out. You know, we, they recently, only last week or the week before, got the extra 200 euro in the spring bonus that some people might fall for that and think, oh, the government must be giving something else. They're not. The government aren't giving anything extra at the moment on energy bills. I'll get to something in a moment uh, whereby they may give us something next winter, but they're certainly not doing anything at the moment. So beware of that if you get a text message saying that you're entitled to discounted energy under the Energy Bill Support Scheme. Delete, delete, delete. It is a scam. And talk to other people about it and make other people aware of it. Donalyn Carrigaline got a text message. Now, his came from what was a French, well, purporting to be from a French number. And it was one of these ones to say that Donald's package is pending and he needs to confirm an address for delivery by clicking on the link. Now, he deleted it immediately but he did make a screenshot of it and he was talking of a friend uh, with a friend of his kind of somebody in the know and the friend said that if he'd even clicked on uh, the link uh, simply trying to you know wh- where the tracking service was uh, the link could I- locate his IP address and the friend said then they could even have access to your PC your phone or whatever device you clicked on <sighs> yeah maybe I maybe I don't know I know for a lot of those links when you get into them it's then the additional information that they give but the advice we give all of the time is just simply don't click on it so you did the right thing by deleting it 0818103103 and on GAA Go that we mentioned and now the and this rum this controversy is continuing because so many people are coming out and are so annoyed and I think it was last weekend the two big games last weekend when they went behind the paywall but it, it is a, it is a controversy that certainly is intensifying with even you know the government the very top of the government both Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin uh, getting involved and they're not happy with either GAA or RTE uh, about it and then we had the call from one Fine Gael uh, TD who reckons that if RTE are going to continue to make money out of GAA Go because it's a 50-50 split between the GAA and RTE then one Fine Gael TD a guy by the name of Alan Dillon suggests that the TV licence should be reduced by €50 Euro in the budget in October because he's saying that the GAA Go and the fact that half the money goes to RTE is a licence fee increased by the back door. That won't go down well in Montrose I can tell you. Paddy in Fomoy though he knows the background to GAA Go. He says for a period of time he lived in Australia and he said at that time all of the major GAA games I, I think it was the things like the, the All Ireland, the semi-finals and the finals. I don't think all of the matches, but a lot of the big matches were available on Channel 7, which is an Australian uh, broadcaster. Uh, and they were airing them. And he said, so it was great for the 
expats who were living in Australia, they were all able to get together and sit down and watch a, a match. And he said, you know, it was a full RTE commentary and the pictures and, you know, exactly what we were watching at home. The lads and lassies in Australia were watching the same thing. So that went on for many years until GAA Go arrived. Then the games were no longer available on Channel 7, which would have been free to air. And he said that caused huge disappointment for a lot of Irish in Australia. And the only way they could access it was under GAA Go on behind a pay wall. Now, the news, he said, it never made much headlines here in Ireland. However, uh, Paddy said he was speaking with the GAA County Board member at the time who said, wait and see, in a few years time, it'll happen here in Ireland. And he said now, 10 years later, exactly what a GAA County Board member predicted to Paddy has actually come um, uh, true. And actually, when the GAA, you know, go, you know, when it went up, I, I understood the reasoning behind it. OK, for people in Australia, they had it on, on Channel 7. But if you were living in other parts of, you know, even mainland Europe or if you were in America, or if you're in other parts of the world, you didn't have access to it. I mean, it was just Australia was quite unique in that they were showing it uh, free to air. So it was great for people living overseas that they were able to access, you know, the big matches and it made them feel like they were at home. And I remember being on holidays in the south of France and signing up to GAA Go for an All-Ireland that caught, it was a hurling match that uh, Cork were in and we just didn't want to miss it so we signed up to GAA Go and I remember we were in a villa with some uh, English friends of ours who had never seen a GAA match uh, before and the excitement and we were explaining to them what was going on they, their jaws were on the floor watching the match they never enjoyed a match so much to the point that they now watch uh, hurling matches uh, since so I do understand how, why GAA is good and how it helps people overseas. But, but I think, you know, nobody wanted to ever see matches go behind a paywall in this country because as we're advocating, particularly on behalf of people who built the GAA, the older community are the ones who most miss out. And now people who are struggling, we're hearing about families who are finding it difficult to put food on the table every week. And if they're finding it difficult to put food on the table every week, they were hardly going to have even as little as €12 as it was last week to download and watch uh, the match. So anyway, the controversy rumbles on. It certainly hasn't gone away. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. With a reminder to you that we are looking for your gardening questions, please, because Peter will be joining us in a little while. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. A reminder that this evening, Annam Cara are holding their Cork meeting in the Clayton Silver Springs Hotel at 7.15. All bereaved parents are welcome, regardless of the age of the child or indeed the circumstances of the death. McCroom Senior Citizens and Active Retirement Group, they're hosting a gardening talk by MacDee's Dripsy's Garden Centre. It's tonight at 8 in the Father Rhine Hall in McCroom. There'll be a plant sale and a raffle and all are welcome. You can enjoy Treasures of the Beatles performed by the Cork Academy of Music and Drama in the Seaward Theatre North Monastery Campus uh, tonight and tomorrow night at half seven. And Christine O'Sullivan is taking part in the Breakthrough Cancer Research Camino Challenge. It is from next Monday, the 15th of May to the 22nd. Now, she lost her husband, James, to a rare cancer 
uh, some years ago and Breakthrough Cancer Research is researching this and many other forms of rare cancer to honour her late husband. Christine is currently fundraising for this charity through her I Donate page and she's inviting people to help out by donating idonate.ie forward slash fundraiser forward slash uh, Christine O'Sullivan. And if you need help with reading, writing, spelling and numeracy or you know of somebody who needs help, please contact the Mallow Adult Learning Centre for more information on 022 42642. Now they are located on the top floor of the Parish Centre. They open Monday to Thursday, half nine to half one. And they're also open on Friday from 9am to 12.30. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A text on WhatsApp's coming in. Let's see if I can get to some of them. Tim and Mallow. So just listening with interest to the listener who noticed that took home her shopping receipt and noticed that she was charged for something. I looked back on, on a shop that I did yesterday and I've noticed I've been charged for three loose red peppers. I definitely didn't buy. I wonder has this been done on a bigger scale that we don't even realise. Everybody needs to start checking their till receipt, uh, folks. That's uh, for sure. Hi, Patricia. Listening to you there talking about scam messages and calls and emails that people are getting. Myself and my husband both got scam calls and messages or we get them each week. Have the government or the guards come out with any plans to tackle all of these scams? They seem to be getting much worse. Is there anything being done about them? They seem to have free reign here. I particularly worry about my mum and others who may get caught out, says Neve in Cork. They definitely are on the increase, Neve. I think the problem, and, and I do think the guards are doing their best, and I do think the governor are doing the best, but a lot of them, of course, originate outside of Ireland, and therein lies the problem. And you've got police forces all over the world doing their best, and they do manage to close down uh, some of them, but as soon as they close them down, somebody else will open up uh, somewhere else. And remember, you're, you're not being personally targeted they just you know will randomly send out 10,000 text messages at the click of a button and what they're hoping for is just even if 0.01% of people fall for it then they've got their money made uh, for that day will we ever see an end to it I don't know I really don't know because I know the phone providers they're trying to do their best as well certainly the banking fraternity uh, they're all trying to do their best we we just have to uh, try and stop it but how do we stop it I don't know Okay, on the G GAA go. Somebody says everybody needs to uh, boycott the GAA. Well, I can't see that happening because the GAA brings so much love and enjoyment to so many people. John says, hi Patricia, regarding GAA go, people should refuse to buy a television uh, licence. They're all takeout merchants. A GAA match beats looking at Raiders of the Lost Ark three times a year. Well done, RTE, says um, uh, John. On cost of living. Hi, Patricia. And this is to the farmers. Now, the farmers are being uh, affected. Patricia, it's the green policy that have people squeezed, according to Henry. Um, Michael Collins, the local independent doll deputy in West Cork, asked Leo Varadkar about the tripling of the price of fertiliser. Leo Varadkar said, sure, it's no harm. Farmers will use less. What a clueless answer. Uh, Henry feels it's Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael TDs that have the country staff. 
stabbed in the back. Something needs to be done about it. And then another listener says, Patricia, the worst cost of living crisis surely has got to do with the price of electricity and uh, gas because it's tough on everyone but especially on businesses. They are getting very little support when it comes to the cost of their electricity or their gas prices. If electricity and gas came back down to somewhere where it was before the Ukrainian uh, crisis, then everything else surely would follow suit. Whatever about households, you can try to cut down, you know, switching off lights and, you know, not switching on the immersion and not using the tumble dryer. But for businesses, they don't have that privilege. If they want to stay in business, then there's very little chance for them. They'll do their best, but they still have to use gas and electricity. Now, I did see... And this will kind of annoy people because it is coming from the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan. When he was asked about energy prices and did he see energy prices uh, falling, he says that the 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 way energy prices have got, have gone up, he said he can't be easily reversed to bring them uh, back down. He said a switch to renewable energy by way of retrofitting homes, that's his advice. He says that's the best way to bring down prices. No, except you won't do it immediately, but you will do it into the future. And then he spoke about all of the, edge, uh, the energy companies and how they hedge forward. They buy in advance. He says they purchase gas a year or 18 months in advance. So he said that isn't something they can reverse. They have to get used. They have to, you know, use whatever whatever gas they've bought 18 months in advance at a high price before they can start bringing prices down. Eamon Ryan said energy prices are high uh, because of Ireland's reliance on fossil fuels. And he's labelled the state as a price taker. He says the biggest change to the prices currently faced by householders would be a switch to renewable energy. And he went on to talk about the grants that are available for the retrofitting of homes and that will bring down the price of retrofitting your home by uh, 30%. But when he was questioned if the government will put pressure on the energy companies to lower their prices in the coming weeks, Eamon Ryan says the government has focused on what it can control and then he said, look, we're trying to reduce childcare costs, health costs and public transport cost. He said, that's where our focus is because we have control over that and that's real. He said, I think that's been the best measure to try and combat inflation. Now, he did acknowledge that it is a difficult time due to high inflation, which is also affecting grocery prices and it's affecting the cost of all services. Eamon Ryan said that any measures introduced outside of the budget would not allow uh, for the overall picture and that any further energy credits, he said they will be examined in the autumn. He said the introduction of a credit for oil customers, that's been called for. He said it would be a difficult uh, one, didn't explain why. But he also accepts, and this is something that we spoke about yesterday, there's real concern out there now because there are so many gas companies customers now who are in arrears at the end of March and he said the government is working closely with companies to ensure that customers receive quick engagement if they are having difficulties paying and making their payments on their gas bills and he went on you know to give the standard advice if you are in difficulty get in contact with the company and let them try and help you uh, through it he said government will come back in the autumn he says as we're committed to in the budget looking at whatever further supports we can have 
to get people through what is a difficult time. But he's, he said, no, there's no pressure going to come on the energy companies. And look, that's the argument that's always put forward, that all of our energy companies hedge forward and they purchase, you know, gas a year or 18 months ahead. But we now know that the price of a barrel of oil is now less than what it was at the start of the Ukrainian crisis. Could they at least go back to the energy companies and get them to open their books and show when they purchased and how much they purchased it for and when all of that hedged oil or gas, when was it purchased and when is it expected to run out? So at least then people would have some indication when we would see see a fall in our energy bills because we know Electric Ireland reduced the price of of electricity to business customers and listen I, I was delighted with that but they didn't do it for domestic customers so if they can do it for one cohort why can't they do it for another there's still too many questions there sorry Eamon Ryan you didn't answer them all 0818 103 103 uh, let's take a break and we are back with gardening questions uh, get them in please with Peter Dowdell our resident gardener to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103 Gardening with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival May 26th to 28th at Cork Racecourse Mallow. It's too big to miss. And Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining me on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And lots and lots of questions in. Let's get straight into them. Starting off with an email that we bounced back to you last week because it came with pictures and it is from a listener based near Skibbereen and it says this year our Grisolinia hedge appears to be dying. I've enclosed photographs. Some of it was planted more than up to 30 years ago and is six, seven foot high or more. Uh, other parts is about 10 years old and that section is about three foot <coughs> high. It's cut once a year. Leaves are turning yellow and then fall off. Not all the roots are dead as new growth appears on some of the dead hedging. What can be done? Thanking you. And we sent you on the pictures. Unfortunately this is uh, becoming far too common where I've actually just left a a garden an hour ago which is a similar problem and where we used to see kind of patches of of Grisolinia hedge in particular dying you know where you'd see a random patch here or there we used to see that maybe, I don't know once a month or something in years gone by, uh, you're seeing it more like once, twice a week now at this stage. So it's becoming very common. And in the past, it's been problems such as honey fungus and, and also phytophthora. But you also now as well have sclerotinia, which is another fungus. They're all fungal diseases. And unfortunately, the bad news um, is none of them are good news to have in the garden. And they're all caused to a greater or lesser degree by, by where we live, by our climate and our soil, its cultural conditions. And you know, when I'm talking about fungal infections over the years, Trish, I'm always talking about cultural control. So it's about improving growing conditions where possible. Um, now, when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about things like when we're pruning apple trees and roses, I'm talking about, you know, removing crossing branches and allowing good air circulation through a plant. Now, of course, that's impossible in a hedge. You can't do that because you want the opposite in the hedge. You want the, the density of foliage. But that does lead to, with, with, with the, our damp climate, an awful lot of evergreen foliage. Uh, and if the soil is any way moisture retentive or poor or clay-like, that's the ideal conditions for the development of these fungal infections. 
and particularly phytophthora and steratinia. So I'm afraid the bad news is that, that, you, that, that you want to remove any of the infected growth in, or the infected plants. And it's not a question of cutting back. You need to remove the diseased plants, which in, in this case and in many cases, because I imagine there's many people listening that have similar problems, um, it may it may mean removing the whole hedge. Now, I know that's the last thing you want to hear when it's a 10-foot high hedge <clears throat> or an 8-foot high hedge. But it, 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 that is the best advice I can give. You need to the only advice I can give. You need to remove the the diseased specimens, um, also the soil beneath, uh, <clears throat> and you need to replant with them um, something that isn't crystallinia, so something that's more more um, more resistant, if you like, Aliagnus, maybe privet, our old fashioned ones like privet and lanistera and things like that, um, and even Escalonia, but that's susceptible to its own blight. So maybe 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 avoid that one, but. It, it's not an easy fix problem, I'm afraid. So it might it might require a bit of time and attention. It will require a bit of time and attention. Yeah, I know about 10 years ago, I share a gristlinia hedge between me and, and uh, my then neighbour. And it, it went, uh, it was one of those fungal infections and, and the whole hedge went. And then he replanted a gristlinia hedge again. And touch wood, I'm delighted to say it's 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 OK at the moment, but we're keeping constant eye, Thank God. Uh, eye on it. But yeah, when you lose it, you lose it. And it was very rapid. It was very, it was over the period of one season. We just, the whole hedge uh, had to go. So uh, good luck. It's, it's, and, but to have a hedge that old and that high, it's, it's a big, big uh, job. And then high. Garden. Yeah. It changes the whole garden, Chris. You have an eight or ten foot high Yeah, they're suddenly and gone. Suddenly you don't, yeah, it's you know? gone. Yeah, yeah. It'll take some years to get it back to that. Um, hi, Peter. We seem to have a lot of rabbits coming into our garden this year. Now, I have to say, they're not causing any harm at all, and they seem to be only eating the grass. I'm wondering, from Peter, if rabbits have a positive impact on a garden, especially in terms of encouraging better lawn health. I would I would be of the opinion of live and let live, of course. So I mean, let our garden open to the rabbits, and if they're not doing you any damage, then absolutely enjoy them. Uh, I the the you'd want to be an ecologist to to answer the question as to whether they have a positive effect. I have no doubt they do. Um, even even just in fertilizer, if nothing else, I don't know, and it's an interesting question, but I hadn't thought about it in terms of lawn health. And I, I, I imagine the answer to that would be yes, because they because they do they do eat it quite tight to the ground, which would help to prevent problems such as thatch. Uh, so I imagine the answer is yes. And if they're not, if they're not interfering with any of your ornamental or vegetable plants, then then yeah, and, leave well alone and, and enjoy. Lo- them. And lovely to watch. Yeah, but yeah. a pleasure to watch yeah. it to have in the garden. Maura in Liscarroll says, I bought Peter's summer bear root mix, the peonies, irises, etc. It turns out my new seven month old puppy likes to dig up what I've just planted. Would the plants last until next spring if I store them properly or would I be better off giving them to somebody else to plant this year? definitely give them to somebody else. They're bare root plants, so they'll dry out if they're stored and that, that, that'll be the end of them. So no, certainly you'd, ha- you'd have to have them planted by now, realistically. Uh, so give them give them to somebody or even if you just dug a hole or one big pot and put them into it just so long so that they can do their growing this year, if you know what I mean, just so long as they don't dry out. So if they're in damp compost or even just one big hole in the ground, uh, plant them in it. You can always lift them and plant them individually next year. But no, storing them won't be an option, no. Yeah, and just got to wait for them to get out of the bad habit of, of digging them up. Um, yeah. Hi, uh, Peter. I have a magnolia tree. It was planted about five years ago. The bottom of the tree is kind of bare. I have only a few, I had only a few flowers last year and the leaves were being eaten by something. What can I do to make it healthier and stronger? 
I don't know, unfortunately, on that one without seeing a photograph. So I suppose send a photograph in if you can, either to John Paul or send it to myself on Facebook, The Irish Gardener. But uh, I'll have a look at it and try and answer. Now, the only thing, in terms of the very few flowers, don't worry. It, it's You do have to be patient when it comes to magnolias. Like these glorious displays that you see in magnolias could be 20, or 20 years or more old, right? So the fact that you're getting flowers is a good sign and hopefully that'll improve each year. But in terms of the leaf health and the, 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 the bareness underneath, I'd want to see a photograph to, to, to hazard an idea. Okay, John and Kilmichael, actually, while we were talking about the Grisellinia hedge, has sent on photographs of his Grisellinia hedge. It's an established hedge of 15 years. Very same problem. Will I dig it out and replant it? So you've already answered that for the other listener because it's the very, very uh, same uh, problem. And that's interesting. Both of them are in West Cork. So whether it's an issue in West Cork at the moment, I don't know. And Breda in Mallow says, could you ask Peter, please, how will I keep pots of stock going? They're in full bloom now under shelter. The scent of the back door in the evening is absolutely beautiful. How do they keep them flowering, says uh, Breda, who wants to keep the smell going? They are a magnificent plant for scent and they look gorgeous too, the, the stocks. They are, uh, they're of the genus Matthiola, but it's it's Matthiola in Canna, which is a, an annual species. So you won't keep them going from year to year. The most you can do is try and extend the flowering period, but really they're of their best only for a few weeks. So when the main flower dies off, uh, which you will get a few weeks out of it, but when it dies off, just cut it back. Don't cut it all the way to the ground or anything like it. Just cut it back to a node. So in other words, where a leaf meets the stem and you will get some, now they will be smaller, but you will get some lateral uh, blooms as well. So instead of the main flower that's giving doing its thing at the moment, you will get some side shoots which will flower. They won't look as impressive, but they will flower and you will extend the colour and the scent by doing that. And what you could do then as well, is also just let them die off then naturally on the plant, let them dry, let the seed pods dry and collect the seed and then you have a free stock seed for next year. And John wants to know, when is the best time to feed uh, hydrangea and what is the best feed to give it? I suppose a good general purpose liquid, uh, well, sorry, liquid or granular uh, seaweed, a good organic seaweed feed will be for overall plant health. That's as good as you can get. Um, If you want something specific for flowering to promote flowers, then look at a good organic tomato food. Um, But but an established hydrangea, provided it's growing in the right place, again, talking about cultural conditions and, and giving everything the right thing. If we can make sure the soil around it is good, then an established one shouldn't need much feeding. If it's a new one, certainly to help it establish, give it a good seaweed feed. But it's much more important to, to constantly be replenishing the soil, to putting good organic matter in and around the soil. Now, that can be, you know, it could be rotted down manure. It could be homemade compost. It could be shop compost or anything that's going to improve the soil structure and the humus content will, will improve the, 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 the plant. Jane has a healthy Grisellinia hedge. I'm glad to report she only set it last year. She's wondering, should she trim it at some stage this year? Um, I would wait till September uh, under the wildlife act anyway, as we discussed last uh, yeah, Friday, don't, yeah. don't trim it back till September. But even though uh, if it's only since last year, it's not, it's not offering any nesting habitat yet, but, but still I would wait till September and don't prune it too late actually, because as it comes into the winter, that's when it becomes, it does become a bit vulnerable to problems like we we're discussing earlier with the, the fungal problems with hedges. Like if uh, during the winter, they could become that bit more vulnerable to the, what am I trying to say? That bit less resistant, if you like, because they're weakening during the winter. So I would say cut it in September uh, and not later, or alternatively, leave it till the end of February next year when it's coming back into growth. And Margaret, is now the right time to trim back flowering crab apple trees and cherry trees? 
No, no, neither, neither. Well, the flowering grab apples certainly not because <clears throat> what you're doing is if 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 my, they may well still be in flower, firstly, but if the flowers are gone, then they're setting into fruits. So you don't want to cut off the fruits. Um, so the right time to do to cut them back would be the month of November, when hopefully the birds that have taken what they want of the fruits. Uh, so November, December. Apart from apart from feeding the birds, it's horticulturally the correct time to do it is is November, December. Uh, and again, remember, you're trying to prevent crossing branches and, and congestion in the plant. Uh, cherry is different flowering. Cherry is different because it is prone to, to a problem with silver called silver leaf, which is another one of these nasty fungal infections. So you want to do that in high summer, actually. So it's, it's kind of June, July is when you want to cut back the cherry. OK, and one final one looking for advice is Anne in Mallow. She has what she describes as a 10 feet long curb. She wants to know what summer bedding plant would you suggest to put behind the curb? She's looking for the easiest one to grow with no major, ma- no major maintenance, please. Hmm. <laughs> well, OK, well, impossible to give a suggestion without seeing it, of course. So I can't say what's going to look well there. And of course, it's down to personal choice and colour as well. But if you're looking for bedding plants, they are all pretty easy to grow and low maintenance. The only thing they are going to need is water. They're they're giving their thing for the whole summer, lots and lots of colour, but they will use a lot of water to do that. If they dry out, that'll be the end to them. So the only maintenance they will need is water. So do that or give them a good mulch with bark or something or gravel around them to, to help to prevent them drying out. And then uh, I love an old, there's an old fashioned one, which I used to love uh, alongside a curb and I still do. It's the white alisum, a very simple white alisum. Um, That's a lovely one that you could look at. But really, in terms of bedding plants, there's millions you could pick. A a visit to your local garden centre is the best first place of call. Maybe even bring a photograph with you. Uh, Look at something like alisum, very low growing, ground hugging. But whichever one you go for, zero maintenance really, except watering. Okay, we will leave it there. Thank you for that. Uh, Peter, what are you up to this week? Uh, getting ready for Chelsea and after yeah. that Mallow so it's the kind of time of the year in the garden where I plus have about 10 designs that I'm working well done, on so well it's done. the time of the year that, that uh, you don't have time to scratch really you just got to keep going but I love it. so we'll talk to you next week you will indeed look okay. forward to it okay. thanks, thanks for that bye bye that is uh, Peter Dowdle at the irishgardener.com okay let me just quickly go through some of your uh, last of the texts that have come in it's been very very busy on text and whatsapps and our apologies if we didn't get to all of your commentary uh, today Anthony said so disappointed that Wild Youth they were amazing last night that they didn't get through to the Eurovision uh, final the, clou- the crowd were really clapping and they really seemed to be into it and our own Johnny said that as well that it went down well in the hall Frick says Patricia are we the only country in Europe that seems to be storing up fuel for a rainy day and that's our government putting what money they have uh, for a rainy day fund and, and I did make that point and I spoke with John Lowe for a lot of people it's bucketing down at, at the moment and then a number of people are commenting on we t- need to be really careful when you're checking out at the supermarkets there are other people notice that they have been uh, overcharged this sister says I'm seeing it more and more I always take my receipts with me as it does uh, happen I sit at home and I check to see what to make sure what I was only charged for what I actually purchased I smile at the checkout operator when they ask that question do you watch your receipt so many people don't bother taking the receipts and that's true uh, that's what I certainly have seen uh, so many people say no to the uh, receipts and on the GAA Go Fimber says Patricia the clubs around the country have nothing to do with the controversy over the GAA Go it's all down to uh, Coke Park and the RTE's head of sport all clubs and volunteers are very upset 
the, about the very notion of matches going behind a, a paywall. Yeah, and certainly that was reflected in comments into us here on the programme as well. OK, that's where I've got to leave it for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning for Thursday's edition of the programme. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.